This is Joyride. In this podcast series, we'll be exploring some of the most iconic cars in history. I, Jared Brandon Flandy, will be taking the driver's seat as your host. Please sit back and enjoy the ride. Well, 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 welcome back to another episode of Joyride. Now, last episode, we were talking about cars that were all things British in the 1960s. We're going to stick with the 1960s flavor, but we're also going to focus on a more German flavor with this episode. Now, there are lots of car companies in Germany, of course. You have the oldest continual car company in the world, Mercedes-Benz. You have BMW. You have even Volkswagen. But we're going to be talking about the granddaddy of all German car companies, Porsche. And on that note, we're going to be talking about the granddaddy of all Porsches, the 911. Now, I'm really excited about this episode because we're going to be talking about cars, of course. But this story is going to have lots of world history, lots of names that, even if you don't really know off the top of your head, you've heard them before. So with that said, I'm going to change gears, and we're going to get into our story for this episode. Here we go. Some fads come and go, but one fad has refused to go away. The Porsche 911 has been with us for over 50 years. The story of the 911 starts long before the car itself. The roots of the Porsche company start with Dr. Ferdinand Porsche. Dr. Porsche was a talented Austrian-German engineer whose name has been associated with cars in the entire automotive world for years. If you think Tesla was the first to start building electric cars, this is not the case. Ferdinand Porsche was helping design electric cars in the early 20th century. As his career progressed, his engineering prowess would not be ignored. His talent would be recognized by a very famous figure, but an unsavory one to say the least. In 1933, the Nazi party led by Adolf Hitler had taken over Germany. Germany at that time was still trying to recover from the casualties of World War I. The country was also suffering from the effects of the Great Depression, so the German people had lost hope with both their nation and culture. Times were bad and the German people were desperate for any person who could promise to make their country great again. Hitler, through shrewd methods, had managed to take over the nation, and the Nazi party quickly started to enact new social policies. During the early Nazi period, the nation's unemployment had dropped, industry was booming, and the German people began to feel a sense of security once again. Hitler's plans went beyond economic reform, however. The eugenics policies of the administration were starting to take hold, and reforming daily German life was also on the agenda. Hitler knew that if the country was going to succeed both on an economic level and a military level, the country's disheveled infrastructure would have to be improved, and on a grand scale. The answer to this was the Autobahn system of highways. For the new highway to be successful, it would have to be filled with cars. There was one problem, though. Most Germans cannot afford a car. In order to solve this problem, Hitler turned to the genius of Dr. Porsche. Porsche, who had become frustrated with his fellow academics due to their pedantic nature and not wishing to work for the man anymore, started his own freelance consulting firm. The Nazi government chose the little firm to design the car that every German citizen could afford. 
The people's car would eventually become known as the Volkswagen Type 1, or more famously, the Beetle. Even though the Beetle would be produced for decades, its initial run would be short-lived when Hitler plunged the planet into its Second World War. Dr. Porsche would spend this period designing weapons and vehicles such as tanks for the German military. When the Allies finally won the war in 1945, Porsche would be held as a prisoner of war for a time before he was released. With the war behind him, the Porsche family initially relocated to Austria. There, they started up their automotive operations once again. It was Porsche's dream for many years to build a sports car based off Volkswagen components. The car eventually became known as the 356 because it was the 356 project the firm had worked on. The first cars were produced in Austria in 1947, but eventually the Porsche family and company would move back to Germany. The 356 would be produced through the 1950s and 1960s. Despite the great success of the 356, the company knew they needed a new model. Dr. Porsche's son, Ferry, took on the challenge of building a new car to replace the 356. Even though Porsche was a small company at the time, it was still held in high regard among automotive enthusiasts and other auto manufacturers. To combat this problem, the 911 prototypes were purposely designed to look unflattering in order to kill any unwanted interest from industry spies. The car featured a rear engine configuration that was air-cooled, which it had borrowed from the design standards of the 356 and the Beetle. After rigorous testing, the 911 was finally ready to be unveiled. The public got their first glimpse of the car at the Frankfurt Auto Show in 1963. The 911 quickly became a hit. The car was popular among both the casual driver and enthusiast alike. 911s were on roads all the way from the straight highways of the United States to the beautiful mountain passes of Porsche's native Germany. The car also proved to be very effective in the hands of professional race drivers. Porsche's racing division set out to be just as successful on the track as they had been on the road. The 911 holds the distinction of being the only car to win the Monte Carlo Rally three times during the 1960s. As the years progressed, Porsche continued to refine the evolution of the 911. The next major step was when the 911 Turbo was released in 1975, taking the car to a new level of performance. The basic design of the model would not change for over 20 years. This changed with the late 1989 model year. On the outside, the car still held its iconic shape, but 85% of the 911 was completely new at this point. The next major changes would not occur for another decade. In 1998, the car which had always featured an air-cooled engine was finally forced to switch to water cooling due to the increased power output. By the 21st century, all 911s also became turbocharged in order to meet emission regulations. Unlike a lot of vehicles, the 911 has been in continual production since the early 60s. It's gone through constant changes and evolution in order to keep making it better. Even though Porsche has had to continue to refine the 911, they have found a formula that many other manufacturers have not been able to create. One thing is for certain, though. The 911 has been around for decades and has no intention of leaving. Well, I hope you enjoyed that story for this episode. The funny thing, I've always thought about that, too, when you take Volkswagen into consideration, is that it was a, it was a company that was originally started by a fascist regime, but it ended up becoming a symbol of the counterculture eventually. I even think some of those late 90s Beatles had that flower vase inside there in order to kind of connect its hippie symbology with the brand. Now, in the last episode, when I was talking about the Jaguar E-Type, I had mentioned that my first car was a 2000 Jaguar S-Type. 
That is true, but technically my first car was actually a Porsche. It was a 1977 924. I had bought it from a co-worker of my dad's, Jared McCullough. He's by marriage related to the Emory family, who's pretty involved in the Porsche community. His brother-in-law has even been pretty successful at restoring Porsches, and has even been on Jay Leno's car show once, I believe. The car ran, but it needed work. It was a project. It needed a new paint job. The interior needed to be redone. And the electrical system, as we discovered, was also not great. So as we got into it, my dad was helping me. We did eventually discover, though, that the new wiring harness that it needed cost more than the entire car was worth itself. So unfortunately, that side project kind of became a no project. But I still own it. It's in a graveyard of other cars, mind you, but... I guess I can still say I'm a Porsche owner, so if that makes up for anything, I'll I'll take that. I've also been lucky enough, uh, when I was on a trip to Germany, I actually went to the Porsche factory and the museum. Didn't do a factory tour, I wasn't old enough at the time, but did go to the museum. They actually were building a new one at the time, but I was able to go to the smaller one they had currently at that period. And in there were all the iconic cars, the very first Porsche ever made, the first 911. I believe they even had a very early Beetle in there as well. Couldn't really afford anything at the Porsche factory, obviously. I do have some sweet posters, though, I did get. One including from a a 1985 rally with a 959, which I do have framed and proudly on display on my wall. So as you know, we've just got done with a very German-themed story. The first episode was a very British-themed episode. Now, we're going to be taking things a little bit more closer to home for me. We're going to be talking about an American car. Now, the beauty of this car, I'm not going to tell you what it is, but I will give you a few hints, is the beauty of this car was it was not just beautiful, not just fast, but it was also a car, a sports car, that is, that the everyday person could afford. So with that in mind, I hope you tune in for the next episode. And please, tell your friends and family about this. Even if they're not into cars, maybe they'll get a little bit of the history lesson out of it as well. So with that said, thanks for listening, and stay tuned. (laughs) 